Hello, big smiles, everybody. Welcome to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. We've got two scientists talking science today, Dr. Alessandro Gardini and Dr. Yuen Ho. We'll get to their introductions in a second, but you know, this one's a little more sciencey. They both had some really high impact publications that came out in uh, in Science and in Cell, two of the leading scientific journals in the world. And we wanted to give them a chance to really kind of explain their work to each other. Um, so it's for an audience of scientists until the last five or six minutes when we switch gears and really try to break down for a non-scientific audience why this works so interesting. The only other thing I'll say is that there are a few points during the conversation where they reference a slide that they're looking at as they describe their paper. Um, it's not essential that you see it, but if you'd like to follow along, uh, you can check this out on YouTube. Look for the ACS Research channel. Um, there's a video with Alessandro Gardini and Yuan He, Y-U-A-N-H-E, dive deep into exciting new findings in cancer research. Okay, so thanks for joining us today. So I'm Joe from American Cancer Society. We've got two um, ACS grantees who had some really high-impact papers just came out. Congrats to both of you. And thought it'd be fun to get the two of you on so you can kind of explain your work to each other, ask a few questions, and get to it. So quick introductions. Dr. Gardini, do you want to? Wanna... Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much. So my name is Alessandro Gardini, and um, I'm an assistant professor here at the Waystar Institute in Philadelphia. And I started my lab about, uh, well, six years, six years ago. That's right, about six years ago. And uh, I actually became an ACS grantee in uh, starting in 2019. Um, and yeah, generally speaking, my lab, my lab work, lab work revolves around transcriptional regulation and how the epigenetic landscape affect transcription in physiological conditions and in tumor cells. Sounds good. And, and Dr. Ha, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. Thank you for this kind invitation. So um, my name is Yuan He, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm st I think I'm still assistant professor, but I got the good news that I'm promoted. So, uh, but not until September. So um, I guess it's in the transition from assistant to associate professor at Northwestern University, Department of Molecular Biosciences. So uh, my lab is interesting uh, on the, uh, understanding molecular mechanisms by which large multi-subunit complexes engage in DNA-centric processes uh, using a combination of biochemistry and structural biology uh, tools. Uh, the, uh, the main tool we are using is a single, uh, single particle cryo-electron microscopy, which gained uh, uh, some attention in recent years, uh, offering high-resolution uh, visualization of these uh, amazing large complexes. Um, I have a, another uh, kind of topic. Uh, uh, my lab is interested in DNA damage uh, and sensing, but for this conversation, we'll probably just focus on gene regulation. Right on. And sorry, I got your last name wrong. It's Dr. He, not Dr. Ha. I apologize. But well, it's actually He, but um, it's just this confusion I, I'm used to, you know, telling people He just I, to. Okay. <laughs> I got you. Well, so, so. You just had a paper in Science, and Dr. Gardini, I, I guess we'll start with you. You just published work in Cell recently. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read the title, and I'll turn it over to you. So it's the P 
PP2A integrator CDK9 axis fine tunes transcription and can be targeted therapeutically in cancer. Did I did I screw that up? Is that right? Yeah, no, absolutely. You said it right. So it's a bit over my head. That's okay. <laughs> I'm not the audience. I think our friend uh, Dr. Ha here is. So so take it away. Tell us about your work. Absolutely. And let me let me help myself here with like one slide. I hope you guys can can see it. Do yep. you? Okay. So really in just a couple of minutes, I want to I want to <clears throat> sort of say what is the take home message and why why we're really happy about this discovery. And first of all, let me tell you that this is this has been an amazing collaboration, an amazing collaborative effort with the, with the Johnston lab over at Melbourne. We really have sort of lifted each other work in, in, in an amazing way. And uh, but the main the main thing for us, so uh, my lab is interested in understanding better the function of this large, you know, speaking of large complexes implicated in transcription, like like Yuan was telling about media, will tell us about mediator. Integrator is another one of such complexes. It's a 14 subunit complex that has we know at right now that it has multiple roles in transcriptional regulation. And what we basically published with this paper is that we identified yet another role that was previously unknown for the complex. So we have sort of isolated a couple of subunits of this complex that recruit a phosphatase. Now phosphatases remove phosphate groups and uh, they're very they're very interesting sort of complexes to to study because they are apparently very simple. It's a, it's a small complex. The basic unit is is just like two subunits. So people have been wondering for a long time, like how what is the specificity in all this? How is specificity brought about in 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 PB2A? And now we what we understood with our paper is that these subunits of the integrator complex, they bring in the PP2A phosphatase at active sites of transcription in human cells, but this process obviously is conserved throughout lower, uh, lower organisms as well. And, and what we were, bit, we were able to show is that this comes in stark opposition with like sort of one of the dominant kinases in transcriptional activation in general is CDK9 which here is depicted, you know, the, the scientific name truly is like PTFB, as you can see here in the cartoon. But CDK9 is critically implicated in, in a process that's called, you know, pause release and elongation. And what I mean by pause release is that generally RNA pole 2 when transcribed genes, finds itself stuck at some point in a sort, in a so-called pause conformation and needs the CDK9, uh, CDK9 activity to be released into an active elongation. Active elongation form means that we can actually transcribe the gene in full, have a messenger RNA that can be then, you know, exported to the cytoplasm and translated. So this is really a key point for us to proper expression of virtually any gene in a cell. So we were able to show that CDK9, it's not just about recruiting CDK9, it's about balancing. It's a balancing act in a way. Elongation is a balancing act between the CDK9 activity and the phosphatase activity of PP2A, which is brought over by the integrator complex. And we were able to characterize that this at chromatin, this PP2A targets uh, sites such as the C-terminal domain of RNA-Pol2 uh, at its serine 2 uh, 
uh, at the Syrian two mark and, and other sites such as the DSIF and so on and so forth. The bottom line, it's really the activity. I was stressing out the, you know, the balancing between the two because we also found in the paper that, you know, a lot of tumors are, uh, so to speak, transcription addictive. They kind of rely on constant pause, release and elongation uh, to boost their growth. So what we have found is that there is a there is a great window of therapeutic opportunity in here. People have previously thought about using CDK9 inhibition. So using CDK9 inhibitors to curb transcription and curb tumor growth. When we now combine with some success, I mean, definitely there is some success in preclinical models. But what we uh, what we found is that when you combine CDK9 inhibition with uh, activation by small molecules of the PP2A phosphatase, what we're able to do is we increase this effect here. So we increase the recruitment of PP2A at chromatin and we get a much better block on transcription in these tumors. So Dr. Gardini, that was great. Um, Dr. Ho, when you, as, as you listened to that, as you read it over, did anything jump out at you or do you have any, any questions you'd like to run past them? Yeah, it's, you know, one, one question is, uh, by the way, this is fantastic work, congrats Thanks. again. Um, and it's it's this kind of a mystery of a dual function of integrator um, because um, it, it's very surprising to see you have a phosphatase incorporated into this uh, mysterious integrator complex that used to be thinking as a, a, a excellent uh, a RNA processing enzyme, right? So what what's your thought on you know integrating that kind of information into your model? Absolutely. No, it's a great question. And to be to be to be fully honest was there's still so much that we don't understand. And I was the first one surprised because I always, you know, I have worked on this complex for several years, like it's it's been almost 10 years at this point. And I always thought about the, the whole, overall the complex as a transcriptional co-activator. Right, mm -hmm. which is what we originally also proposed back many years ago uh, that the uh, catalytic activity, like the RNA endonucleolytic activity, would do. So now, surprisingly, and 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 structurally, you know, you're probably seeing that a structure of integrator yes. has come out recently. And uh, indeed, we're talking about two very distinct modules here. They're not even close to one another. A phosphatase module is on the one hand. And on the other end, we have we have the uh, RNA catalytic activity. So yes. it's still, and I, I still think, you know, the modularity could be that, you know, we don't really have a fully assembled integrator complex at any given time. So this could help explain a little bit why, while we have two activities that might be uh, going against each other paradoxically. Mm -hmm. or, or they might actually be coordinated. Uh, so uh, this is something that we are we are investigating right now. Great. And uh, if you don't mind, I actually have another question. Absolutely. Um, so uh, what do you think about this kind of a, a tug of war of, you know, phosphatase competing with CDKs for the CTD of the, uh, the polymerase uh, throughout this kind of narrow window during the initiation phase? Of yeah. transcription, um, we're talking about potential competition with uh, 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 CDK7, but most likely in this 
picture, you're thinking it's the, the PTAB VCDK9. So what do you think about like the role of integrator, this new information of having a phosphatase um, in this narrow window of event? Uh, where is most likely kind of uh, uh, in your picture of model, like how does it cooperate with the polymerase and potentially initiation machinery and transition into the pausing phase? I'm thinking, I, I don't know, it's th this idea of the balancing, this idea that just like, you know, any any enzymatic activity just left by itself could be counterproductive at some point. I think this is really the key probably to interpret the whole thing. So CDK9 by itself, so polymerase needs, needs time needs time to recruit additional factors need, needs time to to you know make sure that every every everything is there for a proper productive elongation right mm -hmm. and uh and i would say that the phosphatase bring brings that that chance bring the chance of like a sort of an additional layer you know we're kind of stopping things we're kind of we have this active opposition every single time at every and i would say that this is probably happening uh, at every single stage of transcription, right? Because, you know, at initiation and pause release, but one of the data that was very exciting to me to see is that we can we can ship, so we can, we can actually find this phosphatase uh, being engaged, actively engaged with RNA pool 2 throughout the process of elongation and termination and post-termination, right? So uh, there, there really is a constant need of not letting one activity taking over, uh, take over uh, too much and too soon, I guess. Okay, so essentially you think the integrator company is providing almost like a platform to yeah. specifically uh, locate the phosphatase into yeah. the, the in this uh, into the elongation complex. I think it would also provide additional regulatory activity sure. and not just like the sheer platform. But again, you know, we need we need a few more years to <laughs> to get into that. That's very interesting, right? This is fun, but um, why don't we switch gears? So sure. from one from cell to science, from one high profile discovery to another. Dr. Ha, you just had a publication in Science, um, Structure of the Human Mediator Bound Transcription Pre-Initiation Complex. There's a lot of syllables. <laughs> so tell yes. us all about it. Uh, so yes, we were able to uh, use single particle cryo-EM uh, with the help of two uh, very, very talented graduate students in the lab, uh, able to reveal for the very first time um, how human mediator, a 26 subunit complex, engage with uh, the pre-initiation complex uh, shown here. So the colorful one on the top is um, the mediator. Uh, pole 2 is colored in light gray, whereas all the GTFs, the general transcription factors, um, most of them are colored in this kind of a dark green color. And then TF2H core is light pink. Um, from this structure, you know, I, I'm not going to uh, dive into the architectural mediator, uh, given the, the topic of this uh, uh, this conversation, mostly focusing on CDK7 uh, cycling and MAT1, this so-called CAC module within TF2H. So 2H has 10 subunits. Um, three of them are uh, formed in this uh, very flexible uh, CAC module. And we were able to show uh, that uh, at uh, you know very high resolution that how mediator complex through multiple modules engage and stabilize the CAC module of TF2H 
from the other angle um, and then position the active site of the CDK7 uh, right along the path of this, uh, the CTD of Pol2 to be able to phosphorylate CTD at serine 5, a critical uh, uh, modification to allow Pol2 to uh, escape the promoter and transition into an elongation mode. So, you know, kind of uh, uh, echoing uh, Alessandro's point on, you know, these large complexes and um, uh, kind of uh, working together with uh, uh, other uh, mo modifying enzymes, in this case, a, uh, um, uh, a kinase that is critical to establish the, uh, the, the platform for the pumerase to allow el elongation. So um, we were able to see, uh, oh, uh, it can play it actually. <laughs> so it actually plays. So you can actually see the DNA engage with the TF2H. Uh, one of the key point is to be able to allow um, DNA translocase to thread the DNA into the active site of the pole two to uh, allow bubble opening. Um, and you know, um, we just mentioned about the CDK7. Uh, uh, cyclin to be stabilized directly by the mediator complex to facilitate the the positioning of this uh, the CTD uh, of the complex. I'm going to just very quickly go through this. This is not kind of related, but interesting point. What we notice is that um, a lot of these uh, activator uh, molecules that binds to enhancers uh, like likely not to have a stable interaction or like a rigid interaction with the main body of the mediator, but rather through these uh, multivalent interaction network to bring copies of, you know, multiple copies of potentially of mediator to um, to near the, uh, the, the promoter region to allow the loading of the polymerase. And uh, this is zooming into the active site of CDK7 cycling age, and we can clearly see a um, peptide of RPP1, uh, which, by the way, uh, purified uh, endogenously from HeLa cells through a collaboration with Bob Tijin's lab at uh, UC Berkeley. Um, and we were able to build a model based on consensus uh, sequence with other previously published uh, crystal structures of CDK, like in this case, CDK2. Um, and they seems to share a very similar substrate recognition pattern. And this eventually allowed us to uh, build a model of how uh, this gigantic, you know, 57 subunit machinery uh, recognize CTD from uh, the polymerase um, and being able to uh, phosphorylate uh, in, you know, two distinct uh, mechanism. Uh, we don't know, we cannot tell which mechanism is preferred. One is like um, the, the CDK7 is going to search and then find a unphosphorylated CTD and then continuously phosphorylate toward the C-terminus, whereas the other one is the opposite direction. So uh, that requires further uh, experiment to tell. Um, and I'm not sure structural biology is the best way to actually figure this out. Um, and with that, I think that's pretty much it.
It's 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 an amazing work, and 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 you know I love I love this this modeling of how how the CTD phosphorylation is happening. It, it it's really amazing because you know I I obviously working on pole two. I I love the CTD. It's mm -hmm. one of the most amazing protein domains like ever. You know maybe maybe we can give a little more introduction for 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 the audience who are not accustomed. But this is something that is so unique. I mean the main machinery of pole two has this 52 haptad repeats. So these are seven amino acids that get repeated uh, 52 times. And, and they are subjected to all kinds of phosphorylation and even more, but you know, phosphorylation really is, is the key event. And there are different, you know, different kinases and different phosphatases working in here. And this is critical for the whole transcriptional machinery. And it's and it's so hard to model. It's just like so hard to model because this this is such a flexible domain that obviously was never you know fully captured in in any structure. So I mean, what what Yuan has been able to start in giving us the, the the flavor of how things are happening, you know, structurally, it's it's amazing. Uh, so this is what really excites me incredibly about this work. And uh, what I want to ask you on, I mean, again, talking about the CTD, first of all, if you if you think so, what, what do you think is the threshold of phosphorylation in order for mediator to start losing losing affinity, right? Because mediator has this great affinity for the unphosphorylated form of, of the CTD to kind of get this whole machinery starting. And, and if you think that, I mean, I would potentially think that, it, you know, when mediator latches off, this is the time when the CTD gets handed over to to the integrator complex, right? That's right. Probably. Though I still keep wondering, you know, if in principle, because of like because of the multiple repeats, if if we we could envisage a situation in which both mediator and integrator are sort of latching onto the same CTD at any any given time during the transcription cycle. So, what are your thoughts about it? Yes, so um, about the timing of, you know, uh, kind of a, uh, event of doing mm -hmm. that kind of narrow window of event, initiation to elongation transition. So um, one thing we, we notice is that um, for the mediator uh, interface with the CTD, clearly uh, a phosphorylated uh, CTD is not going to be compatible with uh, the mediator. So that's a very strong argument. Mm -hmm. Once you gain enough threshold of the CTD phosphorylation, that's going to be a, a very natural uh, uh, signal for mediator to allow it to disengage with the polymerase. And um, so based on you know the structural snapshot we captured, uh, what we only be able to say is that um, we, we, we don't know where, because we, we don't see a continuous density. The only thing we see is two discrete uh, density corresponding to two different segments of the CTD. One is likely to be very, very close to, say, the, the very first few CTD that has not been phosphorylated. And we think that that region of CTD is probably not going to be ever phosphorylated. Uh, that's kind of works as a... Uh, a, a model to stabilize the interaction between the polymerase and mediator. Whereas the rest of the 52 repeat or, you know, 50 also repeat is going to be continuously 
you know, phosphorylated until you gain enough enough threshold that is going to be able to compete with the the, the footprint of the CTD on the mediator. So um, so far, we don't know uh, what's actually the trigger of this translocation. There's one possibility uh, in the initial submission phase of the paper we included, but it's too hand-waving, but I think it's maybe more fun and okay to talk about it at this kind of a setup, oh, yeah, um, absolutely. which we think one possibility is uh, while pole 2, maybe along with mediator, is to so-called clear the promoter. It's basically threading in DNA into the active site to allow scrunching of the DNA. There are evidence, you know, biochemical evidence from you know Kenji Murakami's lab uh, indicating that uh, similarly to uh, the East system, there's a possible you know uh, nearly hundred base pairs of DNA being scrunched and you know producing RNA without disrupting. The initiation complex. So that process would likely to allow you to um, thread the, 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 the DNA into the active site, but at the same time allowing enough time for the CTD to thread in through this narrow channel to allow um, this kind of a progressive phosphorylation event to happen. Yeah. And then at the time when, you know, there's enough you know, CTD being phosphorylated, you will, uh, the DNA at the upstream is going to close up to allow uh, the, 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 the full, you know, bubble collapse. Um, but at the same time, that will be a signal for the CTD to totally disengage with yeah. the, the, the mediator as well. And, you know, we, we have not talked about potential phosphorylation event uh, on, you know, recruitment of uh, capping enzyme, you know, co-transcriptional uh, co splicing uh, machinery. You know, I think if there's all those things happening in, in a series event to uh, allow you to, you know, load the proper machine to take care of the processing of the RNA. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, it's great. Well, you know, it's funny that the intubator complex has affinity also for unphosphorylated CTD. So mm -hmm. I kind of wonder if there is, you know, this, which is why I ask, like, who knows, like, could, could you possibly, could we possibly think that both mediator and integrator are actually bound to a CTD at the same time, non-phosphorylated CTD at the same time? Or could that actually be competition, even though I, I, I don't know what would, you know, what would that kind of competition bring on it would essentially well mostly I guess prevent in you know initiation from happening right yeah so from a structural point of view there is this uh almost consensus in the field after seeing all the elongation complex uh yeah. snapshot has been captured mainly by patrick kramer's lab yeah. and there's this very interesting uh kind of one-to-one -one, uh, uh interface uh, if you view pol 2 as kind of a central enzyme, you have a series of initiation uh, factors, mainly the general transcription factors mediator, being you know almost coding the entire surface of the polymerase. Mm -hmm. And then if you compare it to the elongation complex, um, the same surface is basically being replaced by say PATH1 complex, yeah. DSIF, NELF, those kind of factors. So it's very unlikely that you know mediator will still be able to engage with the plumes yeah. while the pausing is already happening. Yeah, 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 so yeah. there there's some kind of a handoff, uh, yeah. mostly due to the uh, static clash essentially. Mm -hmm.
So this has been really cool. Um, and, and, and I know we're, we're running up against time. So I wanted to ask you, if it's okay, kind of a different question. If you think about like a, somebody who's being treated for cancer, maybe they've got a family member who's getting treated. And, you know, maybe they're thinking like, what caused this cancer? Why did it spread? How could we have prevented this cancer, or caught it earlier, or how could, you know, treatments improve? Um, where does your work fit into this? Why the, the work that you just published from the perspective of a cancer patient or survivor, a caregiver, why is this work exciting? The work is exciting because every single exciting discovery in, in cancer biology started from understanding the basal mechanisms of the basal mechanisms of biology, such as transcription, right? I mean, and you know, like even the, you know, I'm talking back 30 years ago when, you know, people were studying leukemias because in a way it was the most approachable uh, sort of kind of tumors to study, to get samples and to see what really was going on genetically. And then people started looking at these famous translocations back then, and they could understand nothing up until they started getting, okay, these translocations, they involve transcription factors. They involve MIC, for example. And what is MIC doing? Why? Why is this important? Why is this generating this highly aggressive leukemias and lymphomas in these patients? Because then people started to get passionate about about transcriptional regulation and understanding, you know, where all these pieces fit in the larger scheme that is, you know, getting this thing accomplished, getting like a, a whole process of transcription through. So this is why it is exciting because knowing, I mean, we're getting to a point, you know, especially look at Yuan's work, uh, we get, you know, we'll really get the, the, structure, the structural details uh, sorted out in, in a way that was unimaginable to just about anybody up until 10 years ago. And and this is amazing because we we know more we know we 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 know structural details that we can you know start designing drugs if needed you know because because we have all of this underlying underlying information so 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 this is what makes this kind of research so so special to me and and as I as I mentioned you know this idea uh, that has been put forward about tumors being uh, addicted to transcription. So they're basically, you know, some tumors, they don't even, they don't need that particular nasty mutation that makes them unique, but they just exploit what is there, the machine that's available to any other cell, but they hijack it and they exploit in 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 in, in a way that's that's unthinkable of for like physiological conditions, right? Well, I mean, we may at some point also, which we're also doing, I think these days, we're using drugs, Right and designing drugs that potentially target pathways that are physiological in nature, and yet these drugs they don't do that much harm to a normal tissue, but they are able to hit a growing tumor, a growing tumor real, real hard. So this is, in a nutshell, why why this is so important. I think. Yeah, that that you know that. Uh, that's great. And um, I'm going to basically add, you know, from a structural biology point of view, um, with, we, we, we're, we're, in terms of cancer biology, we're thinking what would be, you know, how to differentiate a cancer cell versus normal cell. And in most contexts, uh, 
um, as Alessandro just mentioned, the cancer cell really rely on a high transcription, you know, all these central dogma processes to allow you to basically infinitively uh, grow themselves, copy themselves. And um, that's why it's so important to understand these processes, these complicated processes um, in a greater detail and to the detail that we can actually see individual atoms. And that will allow us to act, or scientists or, you know, pharmaceutical companies to really design strategies to, to, to target these processes, these weak points. Because without seeing these details, you, you will only be able to know, you know, what is involved in this process, but you don't know what is the weak point that you can actually interrogate. Um, so uh, uh, I, I think the combination of discovery science, what uh, Alessandro is doing, uh, in combination of uh, visualization tools that we, we are developing and, you know, uh, uh, allowing us to, to, to observing these processing at great details really is a beautiful uh, combination of strategy to allow us to design next generation therapeutics to specifically target, you know, the weak point of cancer cells. And that kind of apply to, you know, our work in gene regulation, but also another topic, DNA repair, uh, double strand break repair, which, you know, similar thing. Um, people know what the players are, but in order to be able to really understand these processes uh, by, uh, by visualizing uh, at great detail is, you know, kind of the ultimate way to understand uh, these process, uh, these, these larger machineries. Yeah. Wow, pretty, pretty fantastic answers from both of you. So thank you. Thanks for your time and for um, taking us through your work. This is really fun. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you again.